1: Well, hello, dress listeners. We are
2: very excited because today we are joined by an extra, extra special guest who perhaps needs no introduction because we, April... We, we're very excited. We are joined by the one, the only podcast host extraordinaire and our
3: beloved producer and champion, Holly Fry. Holly, welcome to Dress. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. This feels like a delightful, like, <laughs> ice cream Sunday in terms of what I get to do in a, any given week. I'm like, yeah, I'll be on Dress.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, how many podcasts, um, do you have at this point, my friend? So so many, and when we say when we say podcast host extraordinaire, we we really really mean that. And 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 you are the person why Dressed exists. So there's that.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. I I host a handful, and then uh, I executive produce another handful, and it's a busy time in life. <laughs> I'll lie down one day; it'll be fine. <laughs>
1: Well, we have to say, uh, we feel like uh, we have come a, a long, long way from um, our initial studio uh, trial with you all the way back in 2016. That was four years ago. So uh, thank you so, so much yeah, for, thank for you, creating this opportunity for us.
3: No, thank you. Because you guys, uh, I always tell people everyone wants to have a podcast. Not everyone actually wants to make a podcast. <laughs> um, but you guys have always been... Ready to, like, put in the work and work on making it better. And I mean, I, at this point, like once we got you up and running, I don't do that much hands-on with you day to day. If an issue comes up, like you guys reach out to me. But for the most part, you're self-sustaining. Like, so it's all you
1: <laughs> well, we try. Um, <laughs> and, and so the reason why we wanted you to join us today, so thank you so much for joining us, um, not only are you a lover of fashion history, but mm-hmm. also, you love, love, love Halloween. So um, if anyone happens to follow you on your Instagram, they might know that you are nearing the end of this two-month run of your annual Halloween clothing cycle. Uh, And every day you put on like a different silly spooky style from your closet. So as this is our Halloween-themed episode today, uh, we're curious about what inspired this Halloween clothing love fest because you're not putting on costume. It's no. it's you know regular dress but it's all Halloween themed.
3: Yeah. I mean costumes can happen. They pop up on occasion, but uh really what <laughs> happened is that I as you said, I have Halloween rabies. Like our house is decorated for Halloween year round it never comes down and i i mean we've we've made it it's not like we have a bunch of paper ghosts hanging but like our look is definitely um undusted haunted mansion chic like it's really um everything is painted black and purple in our main living area and it's all it's always halloween at our house uh, at least in the top level. The bottom level, we get into a Star Wars situation, and that's a whole other discussion. But uh, so i always, I mean, I'm the person that, like, the day after Halloween, I'm, I'm online or in non-pandemic times, like, cruising stores, picking out all of the cute Halloween clothes that I can snatch up, because I will wear those year-round. But then I started realizing what was happening every year is that, like, two weeks before Halloween, I'd be like, oh, I really got to make sure I pull out that one thing that I bought last year and that other dress that's one of my favorite Halloween dresses and then I would go like I have so much more clothing than two weeks worth and I don't like the idea of saying every year oh I'll wait till next year for that candy corn item and then it next year the same cycle would happen and so I finally just my husband was like, why don't you just start wearing them earlier? And I was like, oh, that seems like such an easy solution. Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Um, So now, and it it has crept back. It used to be all of October, and then I started it on September 15th, and now it has to start September 1st, and even so, I didn't make it all the way through this year. Wow. (laughs) Because the problem is, I'm a pandemic shopper, it turns out. So there's... Um... (laughs)
2: There's advent of the pandemic shopper, and you make mm-hmm. some of your clothes too, right? I know you design a lot of your fabrics. Do you design Halloween fabrics, Halloween Star Wars fabrics?
3: I am, as we talk, I am wearing a very strange. No one else would want this fabric. Um, uh, fabric. It's a. Candy corn and droids combo. Um because <laughs> it's they're two of your favorite things. It's two of my favorite things. They're droids that I made in the droid depot at Galaxy's Edge that I made on purpose with Halloween colors. And then I wanted a dress with them on it. And so I integrated them into a candy corn repeat and had a bunch of fabric done. So I have like a little kimono out of it, my chiffon kimono I wear around the house which is what I'm wearing now. And then like a dress and then a handbag. And I just, it's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> well, we're here for it. Yeah, for
2: sure. <laughs> and Holly, you are, of course, the host of the wildly successful podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class, which I was trying to find the origin. I think it's been around for 12 years. I know you guys weren't the original host, but.
3: Yeah, it started in 2008 as a show oh, called wow. Factor Fiction. And it was like a five minute quickie kind of true or false History mythi- mythics. That was a strange way to put that. Um And then it just evolved over time. We picked it up. I first started guest hosting on it in 2012. Is that right? And then... Uh, shortly thereafter, because the the host at the time, Dablina, one of the hosts, was out on maternity leave, uh, and then she came back and and did the show for a little bit, but then she had a, a really good opportunity come up elsewhere, and so she wanted to take advantage of that, and we were all super supportive of that. And then uh, Sarah, her co-host, I mean, you guys know because you do a history podcast, like, it is a bear. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And at that point, all of us also had regular editorial loads, like copy editing, and this was supposed to be our side job. And so Sarah was like, I'm so tired. I don't think I can keep doing this. <laughs> and so then uh, that's when Tracy and I took it on full time and we've kind of had it ever since, so.
1: Yeah, and sometimes I get a little bit jealous when people have podcasts where they just like get on the mic and talk about stuff. And... A little
3: bit
2: jealous. <laughs> Are you
1: kidding?
3: I lie in bed it night, don't even, know. <laughs>
2: And because, of course, you have another recently launched history podcast, Um, it's a true crime podcast, Criminalia, which is particularly apt for today's conversation. So we're hoping you could tell us a little bit more about it and maybe tease a few of your episodes.
3: Yeah, so Criminalia uh, is a a show that we're doing as a part of a partnership between iHeartRadio and Shondaland Audio. And it is, we kind of bill it as where true crime and history intersect. And so for the first season, uh, we're only covering lady poisoners in history. And we're kind of looking <laughs> at their cases. Because a lot of times, women have been accused of poisoning when it doesn't really add up. Um, it's, you know, poison is considered a woman's weapon. But if you actually look at the stats throughout history... 60 to 70% of poisonings are committed by men. And it's like, hmm. Um, so, (laughs) So we kind of break down some of those dispel some myths along the way, and then we also have a themed cocktail at the end of every episode.
1: Oh, that's fun. Cass, we should really incorporate that somewhere in our You program.
3: know, it has <laughs> honestly been so much fun, and it's uh, one of those things, you guys have both been out with me. I am uh, not afraid of commitment. I've been drinking the same thing since I was way too young to drink. It's just mm-hmm. a vodka and Diet Coke. Yep. But um, now, doing this, I've had to, like, stretch my wings and really explore different things and drink spirits that are not necessarily on my my list that I always have on hand, which has been really, really fun. And some of them have really surprised me and delighted me. One of my favorites being uh, we did an episode on Madame de Brinvilliers, who lived in the 1600s. And so I found a recipe from I think it was 1660 in an English translation of a French cookbook. It's called La Varenne's Cooking. And it is a, a recipe for french lemonade from the 1660s Mm. which takes a lot of work uh you're squeezing all (laughs) the lemons but then i added grapefruit and rose vodka and it became magical
1: oh that sounds amazing it was quite good Well, speaking of spirits, and maybe not those particular kind of spirits, (laughs) but uh, today is our Halloween episode, and uh, we thought that we might do a little bit of combining Halloween with fashion history um, by way of discussing some of our favorite creepy crawly contraptions from fashion and beauty history. And, you know, uh, obviously we spend a lot of time looking at 19th and early 20th century fashion magazines in the course of our research, and we come across all this bizarre, creepy, downright, <laughs> sometimes even terrifying products that have been produced in the past. Most recently, we did an episode on driving fashion, and, you know, there were they, they wore sometimes these motor masks, which some of our audience basically a, a, equated with leather face. Among other comparisons, you know, they were protecting their skin. Um, so don't worry, dress listeners, there is a lot more of this kind of stuff um, that we're going to cover today. Holly is our guest, and we haven't actually discussed any of the selections that all of us have picked. So we're just going to kind of throw some things out there and see where this <laughs> goes. Holly, since you are our, our, our guest today, um, would you like to start with one of yours?
3: I will. And mine is actually, um, I don't know if it's really the right thing to qualify here, because it's not so much a contraption. And because I know, uh, I'm sure you guys run into this as well as us because of source materials, sometimes it's harder to get ancient history weirdness. So I thought we would mention wax cones. Oh, yeah. Which were the Egyptian perfumed conical objects that they would put on their heads (laughs) that were made of tallow, fat, and wax that would melt throughout the day and make them smell good. But then in my head, is there anything creepier than feeling s- super greasy and oily and covered in waxy substances all day?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and also, too, like, even when it was your wig, and then you would have all this in your wig if you happened to be wearing one in ancient Egypt. So I'm, I'm always like, who cleaned that stuff?
3: Yeah. Well, and I love that we only really recently figured out what was going on there. Like, there were images of these strange conical pieces on people's heads throughout Egyptian art, and it was really just in the last couple years that someone found one and realized what it was and did the analysis and was like, oh, that explains a lot. It's not a hat, in fact.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, this is very fortuitous because my pick, my first pick, actually comes from ancient Egypt, too. Okay. So, in addition to perfuming one's body with, with uh, various scents and apparently wax, also, too, the ancient Egyptians wore a lot of makeup, as we know. Um, I think everybody's very familiar with, like, you know, that coal eyeliner. But, apparently, they also were big fans of tinting their eyebrows. And in terms of products for making this happen, you had two choices. Um, One recipe involved crocodile dung, honey, and onion water. And then your other option was the liver of an ass, a.k.a. a donkey, which was mixed with opium.
3: Perfumed fat isn't sounding so bad now.
1: (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so what did that smell like on a hot day? Yikes. And it's right here on your face. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was
2: going to keep mine till last because it's pretty grotesque, but that actually segues nicely into <laughs> what I'm, gonna, I'm about to share with you. It's a little long, but I think you guys will will find this quite interesting. We've all heard of eyelash extensions, but have you ever heard of eyelash and eyebrow implants from the 19th century? Uh, No. <laughs> Um, which is a little scary. 19th century implants, you know. And I've gotten my own li- eyelash perms. We, I get eyelash extensions today. This is not the same thing. And I also want to preface this by saying that I got this from this incredible website called The Quack Doctor, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, um, but it's run by Carolyn Rance. And it's basically all about looking at history and finding these like weirdly advertised health products and like digging into the history And she found this advertisement, or it's not even an advertisement, actually. It's a description of transplanting eyelashes. And it's in the Dundee Courier from 1899. Um, So I'm just going to read it for you. And I guess I should preface this by saying, listeners, if you do get queasy listening to things about surgery and stuff, um, beware. So if your (laughs) eyes are unattractive, you may make them irresistible by transplanting the hair transplanted eyelashes and eyebrows are the latest things in the ways of personal adornment. There are specialists who make a handsome living out of the process of transplanting hair from the head to the eyebrows or eyelashes. The specialist works by putting in, not on, the new eyelashes and eyebrows wherever they are absent or grow thin. So here's a little bit about the process.
1: (laughs) I'm already like, (laughs) I don't know about this.
2: (laughs) An ordinary fine needle is threaded with a long hair generally taken from the head of the person to be operated upon. The lower border of the eyelid is then thoroughly cleaned and in order that the process may be as painless as possible, rubbed with a solution of cocaine, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was common back then, um because this is before you really got the medicine that would make you not feel anything. So they're trying Um, the operator then by a few skillful touches runs his needle through the extreme edges of the eyelid between the epidermis and the lower border of the cartilage. The needle passes in and out along the edge of the eye, leaving its hair thread in loops of carefully graduated lengths. When this has been done, another length of hair is sewn through the eyelid until finally there are a dozen or more loops projecting. So the next step, cutting off, trimming the ends of the loops, and the result is a fine, thick, long
3: set of eyelashes. Am I the only person not grossed out? I think this is ingenious.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm marveling over here.
1: Don't they have to like obviously it's not in the follicle, right? So it's just sewn on. Sewn yeah. onto your
3: eye. Onto your it's skin. It's like a little a little loose whip stitch. And then, <laughs> and then you just trim that biz. I don't know. I think it's kind of fabulous. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they did the same for your eyebrows. I've never heard of this, ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, that leads to my next question is, did, you know, you hear about these processes. Obviously, someone must have performed it, but how often was it actually performed? Because I can't imagine your eye would heal and you'd have this beautiful set of eyelashes all of a sudden. Hmm. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I'm super-duper fascinated. I am. I'm like, I wish we could find some good pictures of this. Um, well,
2: they are doing that threading thing on your face now where you like thread through the skin and they pull it up. So it's not, It's. I guess that right. you know, we're still kind of doing this.
1: I, I know two people that have had that done and it looks great. Just saying. Can't tell at all. So, you know. Just look like they slept for 20 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> uh, Holly, what else are you at?
3: Mine is a little less traumatizing. <laughs> uh, for I think for most people. That last one did not traumatize me. I was I thought I would be squeamish and I was like, no, this is fascinating. One long hair. What? This one is the dimple machine. <gasps> That's mine too. <laughs> we picked the same
1: thing. Oh no.
3: Do you want me to skip it? I have others. No, no,
1: no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I have some additional things that I might be able to add in.
3: I'm sure you will have additional stuff. So in the 1930s, this lovely gal, Isabella Gilbert, from Rochester, New York, invented a dimple machine, which is basically like a spring-loaded frame that went around your your face along the bottom ridge. So from ear to ear, under the edge of the chin, and where it would hit your lower cheeks, it was spring-loaded to push in to form dimples. <laughs> <laughs> And I, theoretically, it would just, it's like the old adage, like, if you keep doing that to your face, it's going to stick that way. That over time, you would just have permanent indentations. Yep. The dimple machine.
1: There was a lot of coverage of this in the 1930s, but I actually found the original patent. For one of her versions of it, which she first submitted in 1921, and then it was approved in 1926. But then I think that there was a lot of press coverage about this, quote-unquote, beauty invention, because apparently in 1937, there um, was—I found an article in the New York Times talking about the National Inventors' Congress. Where a 1,000 inventors came, there were 15,000 people that apparently came to this more or less like trade show. And this is the quote from it. This is so good. Uh, The New York Times wrote, throngs gathered around models during the afternoon while demonstrations were given of how new devices will aid women to obtain dimples, either in their face or in their knees. How, uh, by way of mechanics. And so one device, which is adjustable to any face, has adjustable rubber ends, which may be worked into the chin or to the cheeks as much as a woman might fasten her earrings. A dimple on the chin on one on each cheek may be had, if desired, in one operation. So, yeah, apparently they were demonstrating these things on models. But my question is, this is really fascinating, dimples on your knees— (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah. Um I mean I'll give experiential reference. I have elephant knees, right? Like I my knees don't have a lot of shape. I could see where someone would be like, "Can I just put a little a little tuck here so it looks more shapely and less like a straight line down?" <laughs> I think that's probably what it is.
2: My question is, why were dimples the beauty standard of the 1930s? I, that's really interesting. i And I've 20s, never read too.
1: That. I think, like, you know, all those silent screen stars. That's exactly like what it is. Mary Pickford oh. and some of them that had the little... Mm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it kind of went along with that whole, like, idea of the pixie that came about just as, as movies were getting, were merging towards talkies. There was that idea of just adorable it girls in the 1920s, and it kind of flowed from that aesthetic.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Just a little bit childish, which is also kind of creepy, but that was subconsciously at least part of the, the
1: mode. Yeah. What else do you have, Cass?
2: Okay, so my next thing, actually, this rabbit hole started with a classified ad I found in Harper's Bazaar in 1879, and it says, Any of Our Lady readers who desire to secure permanent employment in a pleasant and profitable business in which they deal only with their own sex are advised to address the toilet mask company. 1164 Broadway, New York, stating they are readers of Harper's Bazaar. And so, of course, my immediate question is, what is a toilet mask? Obviously <laughs> not the same connotations as it might have today. So that led me to Madame Rowley's medicated toilet mask, or as I prefer to say, toilet mask, although <laughs> I, I, I'm not entirely sure, Um which as advertises, complexion blemishes may be hidden imperfectly by cosmetics and powders, but can only be removed permanently by the toilet mask, toilet mask, I'm just gonna say toilet mask. By its use, every kind of spots, impurities, roughness, et cetera, vanish from the skin, leaving it soft, clear, brilliant, and beautiful. It's harmless, costs little, and saves its users money. It prevents and removes wrinkles and is both a complexion preserved and beautifier. Famous bells love it and use it. So then they have this 14-point claim about the mask, which is recommended to ladies for beautifying, bleaching, and preserving the complexion. They don't really say much about what you put in the mask, but it's essentially like a mask that like forms around your face that you like attach at the back and are supposedly supposed to sleep in. And it's really interesting because... One of the points is that its use cannot be detected by the closest scrutiny, and it may be worn with perfect privacy if desired, which suggests
3: that you could wear it out in public, which (laughs) makes zero sense to me. (laughs) That just gave me such a good Halloween costume idea (laughs) that I'm going to have to hold for next time. (laughs) Well, the woman
2: that they depict isn't like it's just her bust, but she's basically in evening attire. Her hair's done. She has a beautiful necklace and a low decolletage. And then she has this mask
3: on her face that's basically you can't. (laughs) She's just going to balls as Hannibal Lecter. It's fabulous.
1: (laughs) I was thinking Jason, but yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, that's a good one. But underneath that skin is perfect.
1: <laughs> Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm-hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone.
2: So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time.
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: My next one, uh, Cass, this might be surprising to you. I did not know that the hobble skirt, apparently on more than one occasion, turned deadly. (laughs)
3: <laughs> this does not surprise me. Yeah, this
1: doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and of course, we have talked about the hobble skirt um, on the podcast more than once, um, but it, it was very much a fashion trend of the 19-teens, and it's we think, and so claims Paul Paré that he was the one that shackled women's legs, and basically, it was a skirt that was so narrow, at the bottom that was really hard to take a full step. So it kind of created this little, like, mincing gate. Hobble. Which was, yeah, <laughs> it was hobble. But uh, uh, recently I came across a New York Times article from September of 1911 saying the narrow hobble skirt which she was wearing this afternoon, was responsible for the death of Miss Ida Goyette, 18 years old, resident of Cohoes, New York. And while Miss Goyette was crossing a bridge over the Erie Canal, trying to step over the lock gate, the skirt caused her to stumble and she plunged over the low railing. She fell into the water below and before she could be rescued, she drowned. Her body was recovered tonight. So very sad. And apparently, you know what she needed? She needed a hobble garter that's what she needed. <laughs> Which was a whole other thing where p- people would take two garters, put them on their leg, measure out how far they wanted to step and then whip stitch some elastic to it, and they were doing these like DIY ones at home and then eventually you could find them for sale in publications as well. So, nice. all the skirt turned deadly. Perhaps that's why it was such a
2: short-lived fashion phenomenon. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: I have one that involves you know, depriving you of air a little bit. Who doesn't love that? (laughs) Uh, Which is the Glamour Bonnet, which was an early 1940s invention. And the idea was that if you reduced air pressure around your face, it would be really good for your complexion. So it's a little bit of like a... um, a a soft plastic diving mask effect. Like, it's (laughs) a, a full head helmet... Um, It was invented by Mrs. D.M. Ackerman of Hollywood, California, and it got written up a lot. And the the effect, according to one write-up, quote, "...is similar to what a person feels who climbs a high mountain or flies high in a plane." And Mrs. Ackerman claims that the reduced pressure stimulates blood circulation (laughs) and thus aids the complexion to attain its natural beauty." A window has been installed so the customers can read during treatments. So while you're having your oxygen sucked away, you can still, you know, read your Dostoyevsky or whatever you <laughs> brought to the salon. Cause you're in a mental space where you can process information. <laughs> I'm like, do they just think they look really pretty afterwards because they're having a little bit of um oxygen deprivation recovery? <laughs> like, I look amazing, you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, I'm going to skip that one. I know. It's amazing the
2: things we've gone to. Although, I mean, it's really not surprising when you think of, I mean, I've certainly tried some weird things in my day, Um, but I've never tried a tapeworm diet. Oh. No. No. Why not? Well, um, I have my reservations, I suppose, <laughs> but apparently, and apparently this is, there's like a lot of debate, like, did women actually do this? But, um. I do have an ad that says, eat, 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 and always stay thin. No diet, no bath, no exercise. All you have to do is eat a sanitized tapeworm.
1: Hmm. I suppose you were going to mail order these? And they would send mail them order them in the mail? Mm. How much were they?
2: There is no price on this particular ad. It's just easy to swallow, no ill effects. Um, it's kind of this beautiful classical maiden. I'm assuming it's from like 1905 by her hair, but she's like in this classical garb and she's looking at this pile of food and it's like, um, you know, you're no longer going to be hungry because you're going to have these tapeworms eating the food for you in your uh, in your stomach and you took it in a pill form. And the shocking thing about this is that women are still doing this today. Yeah. Wow. So it's still a thing.
3: I feel like that's, like, a good microcosm of, like, how messed up beauty standards are that you're like, I'll take on a parasite to meet this requirement. That's fine. Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> I, I don't have any more items. So if you if if you two have more items, like... <laughs> uh,
3: I, I have feel one like, more thing. Yeah, I feel like I've hit the highest points in mind. So we should do Cassidy's.
2: <laughs> okay, well, as we go out, I suppose... Um, I'm going to read an ad from 1904 Vogue about the secret of a good complexion. If your blood is impure or if you have pimples, freckles, wrinkles, blackheads, redness of face or nose, a muddy, sallow complexion, or any blemish, whatever, on or under your skin... You should procure at once these marvelous beautifiers. They are wonderfully effective and being prepared under the direction of the great complexion specialist, Dr. Campbell, are absolutely safe and harmless, even to the most sensitive skin. And guess what the name of this product is? Dr. Campbell's Safe Arsenic Complexion Soap. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Uh, And our listeners might remember, we did an interview in 2018 with Dr. Allison Matthews David on When Fashion Kills, and I highly suggest revisiting that episode. It's so fascinating. Um, But she talked a lot about arsenic-laced products that were everywhere in the 19th century. And we had discussed about how they were used to create the bright green in the flower industry and how women, you know, of course, were dying. The women, the flower makers that were making these flowers were dying because of these incredible, you know, effects of arsenic open sores, scabs, etc., etc. but now you can wear it, use it in a soap on your face yeah. and it's going to help you get rid of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, this reminds me always of like lead cosmetics, which preceded it. Queen Elizabeth I famously um, wore lead co- cosmetics to white in her face. There's, it's even rumored that she died of blood poisoning because she wore it so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really just speaks to things. we thought we knew but we didn't know um, and this a desire for a quick fix um, throughout beauty and fashion history for for time immoral really
3: yeah uh arsenic i like how you accidentally brought it right back to criminilia there's so much arsenic <laughs> on that show it's like an arsenic party over there
1: <laughs> speaking of parties what's everyone's halloween plans
3: uh i'm feasting like, I, we're not going anywhere. Um, we, we are the nerds that like never leave the house still. Uh, so when I hear people who are like, Oh, I ran to the store, and I'm like, Really? Like, I get all scared. To me, that's the scariest part of Halloween this year. Yeah. So we actually, um, are because the new season of The Mandalorian is, uh, premiering right. on Friday. <gasps> we're having oh, really? a Mandalorian oh, feast on Thursday nice. night. <laughs> so we'll stay up late and watch The Mandalorian when it comes on. And then Friday is actually our house anniversary It's the anniversary when we purchased our house. So uh, we will feast that day, which is also uh, probably a, a, a pizza situation because that's the first thing we ate in our house. But then on Halloween, I have an all-day menu planned. Um, there is a really fun restaurant called Beetle House. There's one in L.A. and one in New York that's Tim Burton-themed. And the owner of that restaurant put out a cookbook a while back called uh, The Nightmare Before Dinner. And so we're just going to be eating things from that all day long. <laughs> That's my (laughs) Halloween celebration. And we'll probably dress as ghosts. (laughs)
1: Ah, Yes. And I actually, um, I have plans later this afternoon to make Clementine's dog Halloween costume. She's going to be a French boo dog.
2: Oh, Oh. that is just too cute. Stop it.
1: This is her right here. (laughs) Hi, Clementine. She's so stinking cute. (laughs) Yeah, so she's going to be a ghost with her ears out, of course.
3: Cassidy, are your puppies getting costumes? Do they do the costume thing, or are they like, no, thank you? They get
2: Christmas costumes, and that's about it. We have Christmas attire for them. Um, I haven't even thought about Halloween costumes, although I suppose that would be pretty hilarious um, (laughs) to put them into that. (laughs) No, we're going to be sitting on our back porch. We've invested in a projector and a a screen for our backyard, so we're going to be watching the 1963 film The Haunting, (gasps) which I highly suggest to our listeners if you've never seen it. It's terrifying. It's so good. You never, you never see a ghost. It's one of those movies where, like, everything around you scares you, but you never actually see anything. So, really, really good thriller, mm, and I highly, highly
1: suggest that.
2: it. Oh, it's so good.
1: Yeah. Well, ladies, unless we have anything else to discuss, I think that does it for us today. I think it does. Thank you so
2: much, Holly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for joining us.
1: This was super fun.
3: Thank you both for having me. Like, uh, it was super fun for me. Like I said, this feels like a a delicious dessert in my week. I'm like, yeah.
1: (laughs) All right, dress listeners. Um, We just, we're going to sign off today, but we also just want to end by saying, may you consider what future creepy contraptions might just be lurking in your beauty and fashion regimen next time (laughs) you get dressed. We love hearing from you all. So if you would like to write to us, um, please do so at dress at iheartmedia.com. You can also follow us along on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast and on Facebook at dress podcast without the underscore.
2: And as always, special thanks to Casey Pegram and Holly Fry, who just happens to have joined us today. And everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes the show possible each and every week. Catch you Tuesday. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it.